This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. What's it like when you get your trident? Uh-huh. I think it might be different today. Maybe not the feeling, but uh, physical feeling uh, versus the emotional feeling. So when you get that trident, it is uh, one of the greatest days ever. Uh, and now I think they kind of, after you've gone through, they give it to you and they don't pound it into the chest anymore. It might There might be some unofficial ceremonies, but uh, the way that it happened back in the day for me, is that after you go through buds, after you got to your team, went through what they called SEAL tactical training, graduate that, well, then you're still on probation. You're not yet a SEAL. You have to prove yourself to this group of people, this platoon that you're going to go down range with. So they have to want you to be next to them in combat. And you have six months on probation before, and some other tests at the end of that, uh, where before they award you that trident before you earn that trident because you have the respect of your peers now uh, because now they've seen you not just graduating buds not just going through seal qualification training but now you're in this workup where you're getting ready to go downrange or you're getting ready for that call let's say it's pre-september 11th days and you're not going to war you're preparing to go to war but uh when they gave me that trident i remember that the guys i thought were going to pound it in really hard didn't hit as hard and the guys i thought were not going to hit it as hard those ones really hurt. So they put it in your chest uh, without those backings on there. Everybody comes by. You're up against a Connex box. In my case, that's how how I was. That's how we were. And they pound that thing into your chest. And uh, I mean, so much so that the wings are like bent around because so many people are coming through and just pounding that thing in. And uh, it's a it's a great feeling. It's an amazing day. That's awesome. You're a seal. What's the most uh, What's the most asked question you have when when people find out? That's a Navy SEAL. What's usually what? What's the most asked question for you? Uh, most people ask if you ever thought of quitting in buds. Like that's the that's the the one you get most because a lot of people have seen it on Discovery Channel. That sort of a sort of a thing. Um, and for me, you know that it's a possibility, so you think of it in those terms that most people are not going to make it through, and so you know that it's out there, and that's why you're there to prove it that you can make it through to yourself, to this instructor staff, um, to the future 
SEALs you're going to serve alongside because now you have something in common with each and every one of them, whether they went through in 1962, uh, 78, 95, whatever it might be, you have something in common with all of those of those people now. But the, the question that I get asked most is probably about, did you ever think of quitting in BUDS? And uh, I don't didn't think of it in terms of, oh, I, I, I'm close to quitting. No, it's like, you're thinking of it in terms of it's a possibility. You're seeing people quit in droves and uh, it just spurs you on because for me, it told me that this program is working. Uh, those people uh, weeded, were weeded out for a reason uh, and they got to weed themselves out. They got to go up there and ring that bell themselves and self-select out of the program. So it's uh, so for me, I didn't think of it in terms of, oh, I'm on the edge of quitting. If they asked me to stay in this water for five more minutes, I'm going to quit. No. Uh, Never an option. No, it was more in terms of I just knew it existed, and that's why I'm here to test myself. But uh, but no, I never never uh, thought of quitting in terms of oh, I'm really close to ringing that bell. <laughs> you talked about uh, okay at the beginning of it, you thought the biggest, loudest guys they were out the quickest. Um, at the end with the trident, you thought the guys that were going to pound it in didn't pound it in. So you're learning lessons throughout this whole this whole process. Did you get deep into the process and you woke up one day and you saw a guy ring the bell and you thought, no way he did it. Like it just blew you away. Right away. Uh, Hell week. Uh, the first couple first hour of hell week, two guys, the guy that was the fastest on the obstacle course. And then another guy that was the strongest, like looks, looked, uh, well, well, he was the strongest um, and the biggest and the loudest. And, you know, you go into that and you look at them ahead of time. And you're like, oh, man, that guy is so fast on this obstacle course. And that guy is gigantic. Look how strong he is. Look how fast he climbed. He, he was ropes. probably on the softball team. You know? right, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and you're like, oh, man, and they quit first. And you're like, oh, wow. So for a second, you're like, no way. And then the second later, you're like, that's the program working because it's about finding that person with grit. It's finding that person with the mental fortitude to make it through this program. And uh, it's not about size and strength. I think any high school, average high school athlete can physically make it through the program because you're going to get there and you're going to, if you're an average athlete, you're going to get a lot better in the weeks leading up to hell week and doing all these soft sand runs and learning the technique to climbing a rope or going through the obstacle course or throwing the logs around or having that boat on your head or running with this boat on your head with your boat crew or paddling out through the surf uh, or doing these two nautical mile ocean swims that you do every week. Uh, like you're going to learn these techniques and you're going to get stronger simply by running in the sand, soft sand all these days in a row. And so you're going to get strong. So any average high school athlete can make it through. Uh, but you're going to have also people who are exceptional athletes that don't have that grit, that don't have that mental fortitude that are going to quit in those first couple hours of hell week. So, uh, so yes, I did have that, that reaction, like, no way that guy just quit. This thing's just, we, we, we just started this thing like 10 minutes ago. How, right. Oh, that's the program working. And that's when I was like, awesome. Love this. This is the, this is the problem I run into in real life. Okay. Uh, I see a serviceman, whether it be getting on the airplane, uh, walking down the street at Starbucks in uniform. I'm very appreciative of the people that serve, serve their country and, and have a lot of respect for it. But I see the, the lips. It seems like every time a serviceman walks by and people will just give the same, thank you for your service. Thank you. And I just think, Man, I want to come up with something cooler to say that seems more genuine than the thank you for your service. Oh, they just told you to say that. As as a man that was that was a Navy SEAL, 
when somebody comes up to you, of course you like. It, it's like a fan when you're playing baseball. Hey, love watching. Well, that's thank you. Thank you for coming and watching me play. Thank you for appreciating. You hear that all the time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. What should I say to to a, to a guy like you? Somebody, if they're in Starbucks, if if they're getting on the airplane first, other than thank you for your service. Yeah, I've you know, thought about this. Yeah, you know, it's because what else do you what do you say? And uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm certainly you know appreciative, and I say thank you right back. I say, hey, thank you for your support, and I, I right. sincerely mean that. Um, and I tell people like I see a Vietnam veteran, a Korean War veteran, a World War II veteran who are losing so many of, of course, because they're up there, age 95 to 105 ish. <laughs> that yeah, you know, anyway, they're 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 getting up there. Um, but I always thank them for their time in uniform, just to make it a little little different than uh than maybe what other people say so i i typically do say that to those to those guys hey thank you for your time in uniform um i don't know for whatever reason just to be i don't know uh but same but i have the same thing that uh, it's the same reason that you're you're asking me that question i have that same kind of question when i when I think about what I say to Vietnam veterans and to, and to Korean war veterans and world war II veterans. Um, so I typically thank them for their time in uniform and uh, for those freedoms that they, that they gave me to allow me to one serve and two now, write Do those two things that I'm most passionate about. So, so that's, that's what I say. But for me, I, uh, you don't have to say anything, but uh, you know, if, if you do say thank you for your service, I'd say thank you for the support. Like you were talking about earlier, sometime a, Sometimes just a look says a lot of a lot of words that that don't have to be spoken. Yep. No. Exactly but right. You know, like that nod. Like, hey, I appreciate what you do. You know, that's cool. Yep. Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't know if you know this. Now I laugh when I say this. I wrote a book about seven, eight years ago. I'm far from an author. The author, when they say the author of uh, it, my the, the name of my book was Home Game. They didn't let me name it what I wanted to name it. But anyway, what, I get it. Name it. What was your title? Huh? I wanted to name it uh, Ball in the Family. After all, in the family. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. My whole family played this game, and and they were they said it would offend people because I used the term ball. So I, <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't say balls. Right. I didn't Right. It was ridiculous. Anyway, push came to shove. Uh, random house. You know, they won. They were they, they paid me a pretty good up front. And that's the only reason I wrote the book, because as an athlete, you know, I, I'd seen through the years. I see guys get out of the game and they read a book hmm. and they kind of broached some unwritten rules like, wait a minute, he's not supposed to talk about that. Hmm. So when I was first approached to do the book, Instantly in my mind, I said, no chance. I don't write books. That clubhouse to me is sacred. And but then we started talking. And it's like, no, we don't want to that. We, we want to know what it's like, you know, with your grandpa and your family. We want you to tell your family story. Then I started thinking about it. And I thought, well, that might be cool. You know, mm -hmm. my grandpa had passed away probably when they came to me six or seven years. And I was really close with him. And I, I said, okay. Then they started offering, you know, what the price was for the upfront. And I'm like, well, that's all right. Now I'm in a better mood. Maybe I will write a book. 
ended up doing it uh educational process i had a i had a ghost writer so it was easy i'd have a meeting once a week i'd just spew he'd have questions i'd spew he'd write we'd you know we'd edit and you know went through the whole whole thing ended up finishing it and i thought this is pretty cool you know what was cool about it was telling my stories about my grandpa who who's not with us anymore and I don't know. It, it was a pretty cool process. I'm glad I, I did it. I don't think I'll ever write another one. But for me, that wasn't my passion writing books. But it was a cool experience. For you, who's a real author, <laughs> how do you write? How do you write these books and keeping the integrity of the community intact? Is there is there a strategy for you, or is there something? Is there a guideline you go by? Not really. Uh, mine are, we're not nonfiction. And there'd been a lot of controversy about guys in the SEAL teams writing nonfiction books, right. um, getting whether they got them approved or not. Um, there was still controversy about guys trying to capitalize on the trident or whatever else. Um, but for me, mine were fiction. I always wanted to write fiction. And uh, now I'm writing nonfiction, but it's uh, this, my first nonfiction comes out in a year and a half. And it's about the 1983 Beirut barracks bombing. So it's trying to capture that history, capture those lessons learned so the future generations don't have to learn them in blood. So it has nothing to do with my my seal time. But uh, but yeah, there was a lot of controversy about guys getting out and doing the same things that you're talking about with, uh, with baseball, talking about some of those things that guy, other guys might not want to be out there. Um, and so there, there was that in the community, but mine were fiction. And at the same time, I wasn't going to let, uh, essentially the political climate of the day dictate my passion in life, which was after service to write thrillers. And so I figured that, Hey, some people are going to like them. It's subjective, uh, just like anything, any other form of art. And uh, some people will like them, some people will not, but I'm not going to let the fear of people either not liking them or people in the SEAL community uh, having an issue with me writing them. I'm not going to let that dictate the next chapter in my life. Uh, so I just made that decision and people want to read them great. And if not, that's great too. There's plenty of things out there that, uh, that people can read or watch or, or whatever it might be, but this is my next chapter in life. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to once again, listen to that calling and not have that dictated to me by anybody else. So, uh, so I kind of looked at it in those terms and I'm going to of course do the best job I can possibly do. My whole heart and soul goes into every single word that I put into these, into these books. I honor the story. Uh, I don't think about, uh, what a critic's going to say or what might work or losing an audience. No, I don't think about any of that. I only honor the story with every single word, which comes from my heart and soul. So, um, so for me, I don't really put too much uh, energy into who's going to like it and who's not going to like it. I just, uh, I just write for the story. And for those of you listening to Boom Pockets, there, there's six. Terminal List, obviously, is it was the first one. Believer, Savage Son, The Devil's Hand, In the Blood, and the most recent one that just broke, uh, just was released a couple weeks ago, Only the Dead. Uh, how'd you come up with the James Reed character? James Reese, yes. So Or James Reese, I'm sorry. People meet him in uh, the first book when he's at a, a stage that, that I was at. So he's a prior enlisted SEAL sniper which I was, he becomes an officer at some point along the way, which I did. And he, now when the people, when the readers meet him, he's a troop commander in Afghanistan. It's a little different in the show, but uh, in the book, he was a troop commander. And that's where I was. I was not coming back from Afghanistan at that stage. I was coming back from Iraq. And that's when I picked my head up, looked around and realized that if I stayed in the SEAL teams, I was going to go to a staff job for a little bit. And then I was going to come back as a commanding officer, which uh, sounds very impressive. But in today's military, a commanding officer is really back in the tactical operation 
operations center and they're uh, allocating assets and they're managing. And I had done everything in the SEAL teams that, uh, that I wanted to do. And my family needed me. We have a middle child with some really severe special needs and he needs 24 seven full-time uh, care. So I realized you know what? It's time to it's time to move on here. I'm creeping up on 20 years. Just finished my troop commander tour, which is the last time I'll tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield. It was very clear to me that it was time to get out and uh, and move on to this next stage. So that's where the reader meets James Reese. He's at that stage as well. But of course, now a, uh, a calamity occurs in Afghanistan that draws him into a conspiracy, and uh, the story takes off from there. So it was very therapeutic to write. And I didn't realize that at the outset, I thought when I wrote the, came up with the title, when I came up with the one page executive summary, when I came up with the outline, I still thought, you know what, I'll get the sniper weapon systems right. If I don't know something, let's say about uh, an unmanned aerial vehicle or a, a tank, I can reach out to someone who does. I might, I can flip through the Rolodex. I know who to talk to, but uh, I knew that that stuff would be authentic. What I didn't realize was how therapeutic it was going to be in by how much of the feeling and emotion behind certain events I was involved with downrange were going to weave their way into this novel. So, and that's been with the way with all of the novels. So if my character gets, James Reese gets ambushed in Los Angeles, California, as part of this completely fictional narrative, I go back and I remember what it was like to be ambushed in Baghdad, Iraq in 2006. And I take those feelings and emotions and I apply them directly to this narrative and to that character. I don't have to go out and track someone down who was in an ambush in Iraq or Afghanistan and interview them and then have their answers go through a filter of other interviews I've done or other movies I've watched or documentaries I've watched or podcasts I've listened to or other books I've read, preconceived notions, whatever it might be. No, they're coming directly from my heart and soul right onto that page with no filter. So uh, it became very therapeutic to, uh, to write these novels. And, uh, but he is also a, uh, a fictional character, so he is a better shot than I ever was. He's better at jujitsu and boxing than I could ever hope to have been. He's faster. He's stronger. Uh, he's a little wittier, but uh, but he's also human. So he is not as good at some things as others, like the human intelligence side of the house and surveillance side of the house and the things that he was not really doing in the SEAL teams. He's not as good as those. and might fumble around a little bit with those. And he doesn't drink his coffee black. He has his coffee with some honey and some uh, and some cream, just to humanize the character a little more, which it happens to be the same way that I have my coffee. So, um, so it's for me, I love every part of the process and feel so fortunate that the character has resonated. The books have resonated because that allows me to continue to do what I love, which is writing. Most recent book, only the dead. It's been out a couple weeks now. Couple weeks now. Yep, came out mid uh, mid May and uh, was number one New York Times bestseller in all three categories. And people love the audio. Also, Ray Porter, incredible guy. He narrates the audio books, and it's number one New York Times bestseller uh, list right now in audio. And what an amazing guy Ray Porter is. So people love the audio version. It's the fastest growing segment of publishing, and uh, so that's out there out there as well. I know all the book tours have been sold out. I, I get. Uh the gentleman that told me to watch terminal list in the begin uh, in the first place, he's tell he, cause he's like, Oh, I'm all his book tours are sold out. And uh, very cool. Tell me a little bit about AI and mm -hmm. uh, how scary it is. Yeah. So this AI is coming in, really came onto everyone's radar in a way that it hadn't before this past January. And we heard, you know, we knew about it growing up, you're watching Terminator or whatever else, and you hear about artificial intelligence, but it, it hadn't really directly impacted almost everyone's life until this past January. And now it's in the news every single day. The first 
real industry to start dealing with it from uh, an effects standpoint. So the Writers Guild of America. So this is uh, the writers are on strike right now in Hollywood. Uh, there are two huge issues that they're discussing right now, which is the streaming side of the house. So how do you take that model that was network television and cable TV? And now how do you adapt that model for a streaming world? So that's one huge issue. And I'm sure there's a lot of other ones there as well, but streaming and AI. So how does AI figure into the future of writing in Hollywood? So if you could have some executives just tell a uh, computer, hey, make me a TV show. Uh, I think Friends is a good name. Make it about three friends, three guys, three girls living in New York, and there's a coffee shop. Make it funny. Go. Uh, and it spits something out that's not horrible, and you can kind of edit it and then get it out there. Well, uh, from a business perspective, they saved a ton of money. Um, so those are some issues that are going to get worked out here over the coming months that are being worked out right now, I hope. Um, but it's really the first industry to deal with it because there's not precedent. Uh, in my novels, I go a little bit deeper, uh, not, not as far as the screenwriting side of the house, but military and defense industry, intelligence side of the house. How do they use AI and quantum computing uh, when it comes to combating our enemies? And what are our enemies doing? What are their capabilities in the cyber world? Uh, and so I really went deep down the rabbit hole in my last novel, which is called In the Blood. And it's kind of one of those things where you interview, have to interview a lot of people because if you're involved in quantum computing and artificial intelligence in the defense space, you're not going to talk about it very much. So it was my first time where I, or for the previous book before that called The Devil's Hand, I did the same thing, but it was on biodefense research and bioweapons. And in both of those instances with artificial intelligence and bioweapons, you really have to uh, talk to a lot of people because they're going to give you a little crumb. And then you're going to talk to someone else who's going to also give you a crumb, but it's going to be a different crumb than this other person. So you get to put this puzzle together. So I would be shocked if the facility that I described in my last novel, In the Blood, is not almost exactly like that in real life. And the capability isn't uh, not just like that, but a few years ahead of what I described because I had to keep it out of the science fiction realm. And so many of those people that I talked to, they told me that they could tell me more, but it would put my book in the science fiction category, which is scary if you've read that last book and know uh, the capabilities that I describe in there. This is all just fascinating stuff to me. It's awesome. The Believer, season two on Amazon. When's it coming out? So True Believer, so everything's on hold right now. And it's a, uh, the first one we're doing is a spinoff, which is a prequel origin story. So one of the characters that was a, a fan favorite in that first series is played by Taylor Kitsch. His name's Ben Edwards. And uh, I won't say what happens in case people haven't seen it, but uh, at the end, something happens. And so we're going to go back and we're going to tell his origin story. So how we went from the SEAL teams to the CIA. Uh, this first show was really a conspiracy thriller, action thriller, revenge thriller. Well, this next one is more international espionage thriller. And uh, we got to episode five as far as scripts go and before the writer strike. And then we all went pencils down on the scripts. But I am so fired up for what we have down thus far. It's taken things to a whole nother level. So it's going to blow people away. So that's the first one. And we roll that right into True Believer, which is the second novel. And that stars Chris Pratt. And that's the uh, the second book in the series. So timeline wise, not quite sure because of the writer's strike. Depends on how long that goes. But uh, as soon as it's over, we'll pick those pencils back up and, and get back to work. Well, Jack Carr, this has been a pleasure, man. It, it, you're an inspiration to a lot of people and, and, uh, 
yeah, I definitely enjoy your work, and and uh, I'm a I'm a big fan now. I, I know you got a lot of them. Uh, I know here's the book, guys. You're watching the or watch or listen to the Boone podcast. Only the Dead, most recent. It's it's a number one bestseller right now. It's Jack Carr. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. For all of you listening to the Boone podcast, I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time. Twenty four hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.